LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Adkins. And today I am here with Chandler Benoit. Hey, hey. And a co-host that I'm never on a, <laughs> on a podcast with, uh, except for every hundredth episode, because, well, I think something about LifeWay's legal department, and um, it's just best for the public if uh, our guests and I are not on the same podcast on a regular basis, is the infamous Ed Fetzer, who I refer to often as Poppy. You do. You text me. You call me Poppy via text. Um, and I don't know why that is. I think so when I, I first... always think of the heroin fields of Afghanistan, when you say Poppy, <laughs> that's what they grow there. So I don't know. <laughs> I, I think more of it's a term of uh, respect and endearment all rolled into one. Well, well, I don't feel it that way. But if you want to say that's the case, I'm, 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 I'm good with that. I, okay. I, I think of our deep and abiding friendship of many years, but we are, we actually share another podcast. So this is like an honor to be a guest in this podcast where normally we're like together in a podcast. <laughs> we should we should have replaced Daniel M with with me, and you guys would have had basically the New Churches podcast. Yeah, it would be, it kind of would be, but you know, it's so different because New Churches is so nichey and has been, you know, remarkably successful in that niche. What do we have? Like, how many gazillion downloads do we have? Uh, it's over a million, well over a million. No, it's it's one point four. The last yeah. I checked. That's but just a, a new podcast for planters and. Um, is, is that's a big deal. I think it it's is. and this is for leaders. So it's a different kind of thing. And then I love the fact that you guys have like a, like a theme, five leadership questions. I, you know, I have a, the Stetzer leadership podcast. We don't like have a theme like that. And it's a totally different kind of conversation. We're just, we're having like, um, we had like Senator Marco Rubio on. We got Francis Collins from the National Institute of Health coming on. And it's, we got the weirdest podcast ever. It's like, okay, so who do you want to talk to? I don't know. Let's, let's just talk to somebody about thought leadership stuff. We'll see. It's a motley crew. It is a motley crew. That. So we need to have you on the podcast. I mean, not You're Chandler because I don't know him, but maybe Todd. <laughs> only Todd. Only Todd. <laughs> All right. So if you don't know, uh, Ed is, he's known for church planting. He's known for research. He's known for revitalization. He's known for pastoring churches. He's known for cleaning up messes. Um, he's known for so many different things. And uh, he's the executive director of Wheaton College, Billy Graham Center. So that means you also are somewhat known for evangelism, uh, I'm assuming. And so, Ed, you know, the other thing that is crazy about you is you also, you can't get away from preaching you can't why get you want to why would you not want to be engaged deeply at the local church i know it doesn't have to be preaching but you know that right. happens to be a gift that that i like to use and so but i love the local church yeah and so you're uh you're teaching pastor at high point church in chicago and you're also uh you're also at another church that you just told me about right yeah, yeah. thanks for keeping up it's uh it's the interim, interim teaching you know, i finished up the moody interim i was a moody interim for almost four years which was longer than three of their pastors were at <laughs> longest like, tenured pastor exactly it's like wow so i'm the interim and it's like they asked me for six months and like every year they'd be like how about another six months and anyway so i finished that up and now i'm the interim teaching pastor of a church uh, in manhattan called uh calvary and uh uh, some people, Stephen Olford's the former pastor, uh, and it's just a fun, a fun historic church on West 57th Street, right by Central Park. And of course, you know, they're not me. New York City has very strict rules. So we've met twice since shutdown in March. And uh, yeah, so it's not, not exactly, you know, going there all the time. I'm doing it 
uh, via video, which I guess is what churches in New York City and big cities are doing all over the country. Yeah. Well, I know that you, you're talking about being an interim in New York City because of they are trying to figure out what it looks like to continue to do church. They're yeah. doing it virtually. That allows you to be able to be the interim. Um, it is a turbulent time. And I know you just put out a course uh, called What Now? Navigating Leadership in Tumultuous Times. So kind of give just a little bit of an overview of what that course is. And then we can kind of, as we get into the five questions, we can then kind of frame up those with this in mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I started in ministry, planted my first church, Don and I, in the inner city of Buffalo, New York, um, we didn't have to think about uh, as much that people have to think about today. I was having lunch with a guy, Cambridge grad, and we were talking about, you know, um, gender identity. And we were talking about, uh, you know, racial justice. And, and we were talking about uh, political issues. And and I said to him, you know, this is not stuff that any of us were trained in, in to lead through. And yet, I mean, just think about the division around COVID, you know, 25% of your church thinks you're a compromised coward if you're not doing, you know, just wide open, take off, throw off the masks, just mm -hmm. all each other. And 25% of your church is just shocked that you're even thinking about, you know, how are you having services in the midst of a pandemic? So what we did in, uh, in the course is, is to try to be a crash course in cultural issues. How do we kind of engage with hope and clarity? And, you know, it's, it's, you know, tumultuous, I mean, tumultuous times, I would say 2020 has not just been the pandemic, though that has been challenging. Keep in mind the pandemic, racial tension, economic, you know, challenge and collapse. If you're a working class, you know, it's been an economic collapse in many cases. Um, and, and what we found is, is that it becomes very frustrating. Pastors are unsure how to lead. They're unsure of the language to use. So it's kind of a crash course in leading through cultural issues that helps people to make, I think, a better leadership decision. So it's very much a leadership focused course, uh, but it's it's focused on, you know, not just here's how you cast a vision. It's here's how you lead through some of the uh, you know racial tension and division. Here's how you lead your congregation to engage uh, the LGBTQ plus community and more. So it's those it's those kinds of things from a from an evangelical uh, biblical perspective crash course in some of those issues. So I've got a. Uh, we will get to our five questions, but um, since I've got you on and if we were having lunch, this is the same question I would ask you. So yeah. <laughs> um, I, like I was processing this with uh, a person from D.C. that I still am in, in good contact with that used to be a chief of staff of RNC. And um, we we're just talking about politics a little bit. And I said, you know what? I feel like. The reason why you need um, government anyway is because it's to take complexity and simplify it. Um, and what I feel like we've gotten to a point in our society where things have become so complex that people can't like hold on to it. They, they can't hold on to it. And then the government and po politics have become so complex. So it's decision overload because you said something that made me think about all the decisions a pastor has to make and how complicated those are. It's decision overload. So what do we do? Well, the easiest thing we can do is, is just pick a, pick a party or pick a tribe, if you will, and then just toss everything out. I don't have to make a decision because this ideology or this tribe has already made a decision for me. And so I just feel like we're marching toward that end. And, 
it's scary. No, I think, I think it is. And I think what happened is in a sense, you know, when I went to seminary, they kind of told us to stay out of the fray. And, and I think there's still wisdom to that. I don't, I don't think you should turn your pulpit or your leadership, whatever it is into an ongoing partisan experience. But what happened is it came to you. So it's, why are you not speaking up on this pastor? Why are you not talking about this pastor? And so for example, on the issue of, um, you know, race after uh, George Floyd's killing, everyone was sort of, I mean, I got all these texts. Well, what should I say? You know, what, how, what um, should I say anything? Because what happens is when you, um, you know, people of color in your congregation notice when you, this is a major global thing and you didn't say anything. So what should I say? And then other people are like, well, what does that mean you're, does that mean you now hold to this? Are you now uh, a cultural Marxist? Are you a critical race theorist? And uh, what what's happened is, is that people who don't even necessarily know what those phrases really like mean, throw them around and you get phone calls and emails. And then you have to say, well, no, this is, this is what I mean. I do, I do believe, for example, in systemic racism, that there are still um, realities in our culture that are, that are systemically uh, unfair, uh, discriminatory in regards to race. But does that mean I believe all these other things? And the challenge is, is that you kind of get pulled in. So what I would have said probably 10, 15 years ago is, you know, just focus on don't address some of these issues. And I don't think it needs to become the, for most, for most leaders, this is not the major area of our life. Um, you know, I'm a cultural commentator, so it's a little different for me, but you know, for most leaders, it's a different conversation, but you have to have some level of ability to converse about some of these issues to articulate where you are and to make sure that people in your congregation know that you, you do care about, um, people of color who maybe have a different lived experience than, than, uh, than the white Anglo congregation and more. So, so I think that that's just a level. And, you know, I, I didn't cover, I think any of that in seminary. I mean, I don't remember for sure. Um, but I have, you know, four graduate degrees and in my recollection, I didn't deal with most of the issues that are the conversations that we're having today. It's interesting because I would break down, um, you know, the needs of what, what a pastor needs to be effective in his role. Uh, of course they all start with P prophetic pastoral, um, practical, and then, you know, really personal. But, um, what's interesting is the ones that are missing right now. I mean, so I almost feel like, you know, there's a pendulum that always kind of swings back and forth and man, you know, the, the preaching and pastoral piece have been, you know, the big, the big things for a while. And the prophetic has kind of taken a backseat. And so is the practical. Yeah. And I, I would say, since we're on the theme of peace, I would say perceptive. I think we need to <laughs> be aware. And this is where, you know, my, my field is missiology. So this is not far afield for me is that when I, as a missiologist, I train, Christians, missionaries to engage the cultural moment. So that's one of the reasons I wrote Christians in the Age of Outrage. You know, it's it's like that's the cultural moment. The cultural moment now is more complex than it has been in any time in my lifetime. Now, I don't think pastors need to become Again, that's why it's kind of a crash course. I, what I want pastors to do is have a familiarity, and I'm not an expert in all these issues, so I bring experts to that. Uh, I think they need to have a 
kind of a, an understanding of where they are on certain key issues, be able to articulate that in a way that doesn't burn unnecessary bridges, though there are some that if you just say that, for example, um, you believe systemic racism is real or you you if you say that, you know, I, I think really people do struggle with their gender identity. If you just acknowledge those things, people will say, well, that well, that 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 means that you must believe this. No, as I mean, I'm going to I'm not just an evangelical. I'm a conservative evangelical, um, but I'm a conservative evangelical that needs to be able to missiologically engage the questions and issues of the day, because people are asking, does the church of Jesus Christ, does the gospel have answers? And I think we need to, and, you know, I, 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 you know, shaped by people. This is not, you know, not just me thinking these things up, but we're all beholden to others who may be experts in areas that I'm not an expert either. Hmm. Well, Ed, just as you, you were even discussing, you know, you are a cultural commentator. You are also plugged in uh, at the local church. So as we jump into the five questions, I'd love to hear who you're learning from. You, you, you yourself are trying to navigate these times. You're, you're learning from a lot of people. Can you share with us, you know, who some of those are? Yeah, sure. And I, I'm guessing they're not, you know, there'll be some people that you would know, you know, I would put on that list. Um, you, you guys do send the questions ahead of time. So just so everyone knows, I did have an opportunity to prepare for this, which <laughs> is always uh, fun. So on my list, I, you know, I thought of people like I had this great conversation just um, on the last episode of Central Leadership Podcast with Karen Swallow Pryor. And I got to tell you, because I'm, uh, I'm like, yeah, she's, she's awesome. And, and I'm, she what, what? She is awesome. I love her. <laughs> yes. So one of the things we're trying to figure out is, is, you know, what is this, you know, right now, like people just put stuff on the internet that's not true. And a whole lot of people just believe it. And I'm like, so in asking Karen, I'm like, Karen, I mean, what do we should think? Cause Christians are being misled. Members of churches are being misled. And, 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 and it's, it's the new world of being a Christian leader. Someone, a Christian leader asked me, should I get on Twitter? I said, yeah, probably just, you have to get used to people trying to intentionally misinterpret you or to misrepresent what you say on a regular basis, if you're comfortable with that. And so I asked Karen and she said, well, it's kind of like, and she gave an historic example at the beginning of the printing press when anybody could print things. And there was this whole societal upheaval. And I was like, this is so helpful. I love the fact that we have made it through uh, not the same. History doesn't repeat itself, but it tends to rhyme. Uh, we've made it through similar experiences before. And so, you know, Karen was super helpful with that. But there's people that you might not know either. Uh, James Meeks has been, he's a pastor here in Chicago, um, key African-American leader and uh, had the privilege of preaching his church. It's actually the largest church building built as a church building in the country. It's 10,000 seat sanctuary built as a church. Fascinating. Wow. But James is kind of the godfather in African-American churches. He's on the board of Moody Bible Institute. So he's evangelical. And so he's helping me think through issues and engage. And, and sometimes it's my team, Rochelle Sherman, who's, um, She's, she's, uh, on, she's leads one of our programs. She's on faculty. She's a professor, Dr. Sherman. Um, and you know, help her watching her, how she balances and seeks to work to balance, you know, scholarship and leadership and more, but probably, and this is probably weird because I'm guessing normally people don't answer this question in the same way. I would say most of what I learn 
is actually from broad engagement with churches and Christian leaders. So we do a lot of surveys. We do some in partnership with Life Free Research. We've done some in partnership with uh, different ministries. So when we were, a lot of people point out, we were early out of the gate on coronavirus resources. You know, Rick Warren and Purpose Driven and you know, Rick Warren Peace Plan and partnered with us. And we launched coronavirusinthechurch.com. And people said, how do you fill all the resources? Well, we just asked what people were doing. So, you know, we, we actually through this have worked with, through our different institutes at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, over 10,000 churches have engaged in, in mentoring and training with us. And they shared. So as they shared information, I learned, and because I get to be a bit of a, a maven, I, I, I kind of communicated that other people through the different channels we have, Christianity Today or whatever else it, uh, it may be. So yeah, so, so I, 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 I think that part of the learning that's probably different than most people answer this question is I learn from thousands of churches and pastors who share information with us that then we kind of encapsulate uh, and communicate back to a constituency. So and I, I love doing that. You mentioned research and, you know, had a long association with life research and love doing that kind of stuff. Hmm. You know, for pastors and leaders listening to this, they're, they're trying to figure out themselves, hey, there are so many decisions I'm having to make. Um, if you could point them to two to three books or resources that you've kind of really held closely to during this time, what would those be? Yeah. You know, one of the things that I found real helpful is uh, on crisis leadership is that that's been a, a key issue for that. And there's a, a book that I, I recently read and we developed a course on. It's called You're It, uh, Crisis Change and How to Lead When It Matters. And it was put together by the uh, staff of the, I think it was the Harvard Incident Emergency Incident Management Team. And, you know, this, it's a, it, for example, one of the things early on in the crisis and, you know, the crisis, you know, as we're, you know, releasing this podcast on uh, December 22nd, um, that's a significant day in history. Because Very significant. On that <laughs> day, on that day, you may know that on December 25th, the Jesus was uh, actually Jesus probably wasn't born December 25th, but on December 22nd, <laughs> Todd was born. And um, yeah. so, and that's a momentous day. And you should know that that's the second darkest day of the year because December 21st in the Northern hemisphere is the darkest. So I like to think of Todd as the beginning out of the darkness. I bring <laughs> light. You bring light and every day it's a, glimmer. Little, a little more light, little glimmer, a little bit more light. So like two minutes of extra daylight on your birthday than the day before. Uh, but anyway, so one of the things that, you know, we're still, you know, we're, we, we see a vaccine on the horizon, we, and yet we're probably in the worst days of the worst crisis of our lifetime. And so I think things on crisis leadership are really helpful. We did a whole, what's called a MOOC, a massive open online course on that to help with it. So I think, I think things, resources like that are helpful. I'm actually writing a book on evangelicalism and its future. So probably some of those things would be of less interest to people, but some more kind of think through what's the future of who we are um, as a movement as well. So is that, I mean, when you look at your, if you put your uh, thought leader hat on and you put your pastoral hat on those, those may, they're probably two different views, but what would be your main point of emphasis right now um, in your role with Moody and, and thought leadership for pastors and church leaders? 
Yeah. So the only thing I do at Moody now is of the Moody's is Moody radio show. But as far as like as a uh, at Wheaton and kind Wheaton. of helping think, yeah, it's okay. Wheaton, Moody, it's Chicago. It's all the same thing. For me. So it's just up there. And, um, and Trinity, the Holy Trinity of Chicago is uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, Moody Bible Institute and Wheaton College. So that's that's right there. The And, and it's kind of strange when you think about it. What other major northern city? has such significant evangelical institutions. It, it's, it's, it's a little weird. Um, so part of what we're trying to do is to um, help uh, pastors and church leaders to uh, navigate what are really difficult times. I think of what we do is at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, we, we help lead conversations for greater gospel impact. And, um, you know, we're very passionate about evangelism and the gospel being shared. And as a missiologist, it's, you know, and, and it's very simplest. And and this would be considering I, I literally did a PhD in this subject. I'm about to say in a sentence what my field encapsulates. I feel a little <laughs> bad about that. But evangelism is telling people about Jesus, right? And we'd all agree with that. Evangelism is telling people about Jesus. Um, mission, missions, if you will, is understanding them before we tell them. And so that's a big part of what we need to do because, We've lost our home field advantage in many ways, you know, and I, you know, when I was a kid, I became a believer, uh, forced to go to a youth group meeting by my new believer mother and um, came home, shared the gospel with a member of my family because they told me I should do that first thing, which I was happy to do. And I asked this person, I said, are you saved? This was, you know, I was, I was a kid. This is an adult in my family. And, and he said, saved from what? And, and I said, I don't know, but I just was, and you need to be, and you know, that's all I needed to tell him. So what I would say is that person who's very unaware of spiritual things has kind of become what mainstream culture is like. So we've lost our home field advantage. So what we're trying to help people do is as thoughtful Christian leaders, and that's kind of the language. And I guess, you know, it's, it, it, I'm not saying that other people aren't thoughtful. You know, I'm, I, I, I the people in the leadership space, we all love Carrie Newhoff. I mean, your podcast, you know, it's, it's, but the people are being thoughtful about different things. What my role as a missiologist is to help people be thoughtful about engaging an increasingly disinterested and in, in some ways more hostile culture. And so that's a big part of what we do at the Wheat College Billy Graham Center. So if you're going to put the other hat on, let's go the the pastoral hat. Yes, which is not at Moody, just so we're clear since that's what I, I was right. there for four years. So I understand. It's, it's in Man Manhattan now. So Manhattan. now in New York. It's actually in my basement is uh, <laughs> the record because it's a, who, who, who would have thought? I mean, think of 2019. Ed, what will you be doing? I think I'll be the interim teaching pastor of a church in Manhattan yep. that I'll go to twice a year. That's how many times I've been there this year. So it's so crazy. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, that's a good explanation of 2023. <laughs> yeah, it's <very laughs> crazy. So what would, uh, as you're, even if, even as the interim virtual pastor, what is your emphasis for that team? You know, for, for boots on the ground, we're still trying to reach our people. We're still trying to reach our city. We're still trying to share the gospel, make disciples. What is the point of emphasis that, that you're putting uh, when you put that hat on, but also that you would share with pastors who may not be thinking in this line? Well, it's a great question. Because one of the things we know in a crisis is that um, if you look at kind of five things that I'm sure you've talked about lots of time on the program is, uh, you know, you got strategy and structure. Those change. Mission, vision, values have should not have changed during this pandemic and the crisis. So mission, vision, values stay the same, but strategy and structure 
have changed. So, so, you know, this releases on the 22nd. So here's what we're doing at Calvary uh, this week that we would have never done before. So we're not having an in-person Christmas Eve service. Now, again, I get that people are listening to this podcast in Arizona and they're like throwing something at their recording device saying, well, they should be meeting. Well, you'll actually get arrested if you don't follow a certain thing. New York City is very different. So, um, so we know our mission, vision, values, right? So Calvary has been around 150 years. It's, it's, uh, it's one of the heart of um, 150 years ago, or 100 years ago, what was called fundamentalism. Uh, John Roach Straten and others that then became evangelicalism and have always had a passion for evangelism. Well, what we all would do on Christmas Eve, which is just, you know, days away, I know some people may listen to this afterwards, but is we're all, let's pack the church, right? I mean, that's what you would do, but all of a sudden, this means of evangelism is no longer, and even if you're in Arizona or Florida where things are wide open, I just was down at Calvary Chapel, um, Fort Lauderdale speaking, and it's such a different world than Chicago. I mean, there's literally, I think they have probably a 3,000 seat sanctuary, and there's a thousand people in it for each service. And I'm like, we can't have a thousand people anywhere. And, and part of it's the North, you know, the North central states are, are, you know, are in trouble right now. But, but what, so we're doing is, is that acknowledging that the, again, keeping in mind those five things, mission, vision, values stay the same, but our strategy and structure has to change. So here's what we've done. We've asked for uh, the leaders of our church have already done this by the time people are listening. And right now it's rolling out. We're doing a, Hashtag campaign, uh, Christmas and Calvary, because his name's Calvary. And and we're asking uh, people in the church, and you know, I, I'm saying I'm asking everybody, not everyone will be able to do it, but we're asking everybody in the church to click the Facebook Live button to share their testimony, to then point people and then tag people. You know, and if it's not on Facebook, they can tag people on Instagram to tag their their unchurched and non-believing friends. So they literally everyone in their feed. So thousands and thousands of people in New York City are going to see in their feed a testimony of somebody who tagged them to share the gospel. Now, the level of intentionality of that is so much higher than inviting a friend to church. So it's almost and we so we're really working through our staff and our elders and our deacons are all encouraging everybody. So so but then it brings people and we point people to our Christmas Eve service and we actually have a website that we are launched, you know, christmasandcalvary.com. I share the gospel there. There's other resources there. So none of this would have been what we did in 2019. We have a, you know, we have a great facility on West 57th Street. We'd everyone bring their friends. Maybe we have two, three services to pack them out. So, but leading through this time is in a lot of ways asking what's the best way. And that's why we actually, the course is called what now? I mean, isn't that the question we're all asking what now, how do we train leaders in at least for the next six months? How do we do evangelism uh, when mo most of our evangelism is inviting people to church to hear the gospel? Because I'll tell you this, um, you know, if unchurched people, are just looking for an excuse not to come to church when they're invited. There it is right there. Well, I don't really go into crowds. What are you going to say? <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> this has been the way, I mean, at least since the late seventies and eighties before that was uh, the Sunday school movement, but since the bring a friend to church movement, sort of in the late seventies and beyond, that's how we've done this for decades. And all of a sudden, and we haven't taught people how to share the gospel or share their testimony. And now that's the primary focus of what we're doing. So that's the kind of thing that, what does it look like to pivot at a congregational level? Because we're not done. And, 
you know, even as the vaccine rollout comes, we're, you know, at Wheaton College Graduate School, we're we're seeing a, a strong response for people wanting to start graduate programs in summer of uh, 2021. But boy, not a lot of people making any moves on anything for the last year. So I think people are like, okay, summer and fall, but we got six months of leadership through and still through this crisis. It's going to require adaptability, resilience, Man, I'm, and, and you guys have seen this. There's a lot of pastors not making across the finish line with us in 2021. I mean, there's a lot mm-hmm. of people leaving the ministry and a lot of people have mental health crises as well. So all the complexity that's there, we just got to lead through partly by addressing the cultural issues of the moment, what now, but also partly by mobilizing our congregations in new and fresh ways. Mm-hmm. That's very helpful. I think uh, if you're listening to this, I think what Ed just shared there is... I just say that if they're listening to this is kind of redundant because literally they have to be listening. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, they're paying us in me. Sorry. We know you're listening. So <laughs> picking up on that, what, what he just shared there is looking at a situation instead of saying, what can we do? You know, what was, what was us? There's no way we can have everybody come to us, but looking around and seeing the tools, like most likely you've been utilizing Facebook live for your services and different things. So that allows you to be able to mobilize your people and and just thinking outside the box. So crisis leadership allows us to innovate and, and it forces us to, and you know, for, for some of you, you may take that and be like, guys, we have this, we got three days for this initiative for Christmas and where you're going to try to implement that for this year. Probably too late for that, but but (laughs) scarcity brings clarity and there's less options and opportunities for us. So how do we use them more effectively, more faithfully and fruitfully? I think is a key question. Let's go to the next question here. As, As you're looking at your leadership, even throughout this time, what are two or three things that you must do daily uh, that benefit you, your life and your leadership? Yeah. So it's a little tricky because, you know, I was years and years ago, um, uh, Leonard Sweet and I were at this meeting in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I don't know how we ended up speaking of the same thing. And at the end, there was this Q&A when we used to have these things called meetings. And, um, you know, and so Len and I are up front and someone asked Len a question like this. So what do you read to keep up? And Len, because he's like, a, you know, it does a constant like three films running in his head at any given time. He's he's brilliant, you know, in so many ways. So he starts saying, well, you know, I read this and I read this and I read these books and I read this and I read this. And I, I, I wanted to say, I didn't want to say, I did say, I said, yeah, that's not the way. I don't want you to think that what you need to do is to go become a student of the culture like Leonard Sweet or for that matter, Ed Stetzer is. That's my job. That's the lens job. So, you know, I'm a missiologist. Well, here's the thing. What I would say is, I'm, I'm reframing your question, so you have to forgive me for that, is that because I don't want to answer, but I, I will answer. But the reason I don't want to answer is, is because I, so I read, you know, um, you know, two, three books a week um, on different topics. Some in my field of missiology, some in, you know, in popular culture, um, you know, I listen to things that stuff. But so my job, and I'm a missiologist to help churches or leaders be on mission, you know, so, so there's, think of that maybe in a sense that we're, you know, we're doing, um, you know, we're helping pastors be missionary-like. Okay, so missionaries need to know their culture and their context. So, so for me, you know, I read, uh, you know, I get, I get briefings actually from my team on things that they think I should look through and read to be aware of and up. And then what my job is, in a sense, to distill uh, those 
to help train mission pastors to be on mission, like missionary pastors, you know, um, I wouldn't quite say pastors are missionaries, but you know, it was, you know, people do say, you know, Spurgeon once said every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. So, so what I would say is for pastors. So as a pastor, I would suggest that you would want to read daily. You'd want to engage in something that's probably not a, uh, you know, doctoral level look at this issue, you know, or, but it's, you know, how do I understand the culture better? How do I understand people better? How do I become a better leader? So I would read. Um, I, I, I think I, I do try to listen. One of the things too, as I've, you know, become more of a senior leader in, you know, I'm the dean now of a school and more is I want to listen to people. Uh, you know, I've got about 200 people that report up, um, through the organization to me full and part-time. And uh, a lot of them just know way more stuff than I know about things. I want to listen to them. And, you know, we just recently hired a, um, a staff member and we'll often say to her, um, she's just a recent college graduate. So what is, how are people thinking today about these things? And so to listen to uh, people, um, you know, who, who have different ideas and more. And so what I would say just did, if there are three things, I, I wrote three things, read, listen, and learn. And I would say, you know, this is a key thing for even people, people listening. If, if people are listening to this podcast, if they um, are, if they are, if you are, but you're already, you've already evidence you want to be a learner. And so I think that probably me saying this to you is, is very self-evident, but the continual improvement of your leadership, and I would say as a missiologist and your understanding of culture is just something that you should do every day, not all day, but to read, listen, and learn each day will help you be a better leader in the long term. So, okay. So one of the things that I can't stop thinking about is the conversation that you had with Karen Swallow Pryor and you're talking about reading and books and how do, how does someone practically speaking, is there a way in which to approach um, a book or the times or, you know, whatever it is that they're reading? How, how do you approach that with a lens that is not, um, biased or, I mean, how do you train yourself to, to do that, to effectively exegete the culture as the prophetic part of our role as pastors? Well, I think everybody brings some level of bias. And so I know Karen Swallow Pryor, I know she's a conservative evangelical. I know we actually, fun fact, we were involved in the pro-life movement, like never together. We didn't, we were, we were literally in the same place in the spring of life in Buffalo, New York in 1992. And uh, she was the spokesperson and I was just a person you know, protesting and spring of life was a big thing. So, you know, so I know Karen's passionate about pro-life issues. I know she, she was at Liberty, but she was also a critic around some of the issues that are there. I know that she's, you know, she's written for me at Christian Today about how she didn't vote for Trump or Biden. So I know things about her. So, so I have biases and I know Karen has some biases and she'll love the fact that we're talking about her on a podcast rather than having her on the podcast to talk about these things. Uh, but, but someone like Karen that they have, she has a new book that we talked about, uh, you know, it's a crash course on cultural issues, which is very similar to what we did. We just did a video series with what now. And so I think that, so I know Karen, so I know she is, theologically in similar space than I am. So I want to learn from that person. So I, I do think that when I engage, so for example, I know that when I engage 
thought leadership that Tim Keller and I, I would learn from Tim Keller. He's smarter than me. He knows more than me, but I also have a trust of him theologically. And then I also know people in, uh, in, in my denomination that are, you know, it's, it's, you know, there's a cultural commentator I'm thinking in my denomination. And someone said to me, uh, they emailed me and said, we listen to, uh, they mentioned this person in our denomination to find out what's wrong and why everything's going bad. And then we come and read you to say, what should we do about it to engage our culture? So I sort of know that that person's sort of, this is all wrong. And I do want to know what's wrong. And I want to think through that. So what I would say is you got to recognize that you come with a filter and everyone that you engage comes with a filter, with preconceptions, with, to use your term, biases. Um, And so when I look to somebody who is um, to the left of me or to the right of me, I know that. But if I don't engage them, um, I want to know why some people are very, uh, and, you know, I did this, we did a series on a book called White Fragility. It's a kind of a controversial book and Robin D'Angelo wrote it. And, and, uh, and so I, I did a 10 part series, people who really liked the book and people who thought it was drivel and, and it was really helpful. And it's interesting because, you know, I had, you have this kind of the right wing fringe on Twitter that's become very vocal and they're like, how dare you even have a conversation about this? Can I just tell you, everybody's having a conversation about that book. And so Daryl Bach at Dallas Seminary, I told him, oh yeah, we got this, you know, fringe out there saying you shouldn't even talk about things that are like that. And Daryl, so Daryl tweeted out, this is the kind of conversation we need to be having. So I listened to people on the right, people um, that I think I'd agree with and people maybe a little on the more progressive than me, but I, I kind of. Uh, Maybe I didn't know that coming in, but by looking at that, by the time I read, I mean, I read 10,000 words of kind of people back and forth on white fragility. And I, I, I've learned that actually it is hard for a lot of white people to discuss issues of race. There is a sense that they are, uh, you know, they, they tend to personalize things in a, and, and, and they don't have the resilience that when you talk to African-American leaders, they're just willing to lean in and have this conversation because they've had this, they don't get to not have this conversation if you're African-American, but for, for a lot of Anglos, it's hard. I also learned that man, there's a, there's a doom loop that you can just get in where you can never actually come to any sense of, you know, how do we get to reconciliation? Um, right. I really like George Yancey. We had George Yancey uh, from Baylor's Institute for Study of Religion. He wrote for us twice and his mutual accountability approach is, was per- persuasive. So, so he's the, the end result is, is, I mean, I read the book. Uh, I read people's views of it, helped me sharpen my views. I was like, oh, I didn't see that. And I don't like that. I didn't know I didn't like that about the book, but now I know because someone helped me to see it more clearly. And then at the other hand, I said, well, no, now I actually think that that's right on a couple of things. So that's, to me, um, you know, that's thoughtful. We coming back to that word. Um, And again, people think in different ways and engage in different ways. But I think that our responsibility today is to, is to have some of these conversations to listen to some voices that are different than ours. So I'm going to go, I'm going to skip one and go to that last question. Uh, And that is, you know, usually the question is, what would you tell you? Four leadership questions. Four. (laughs) I feel like I've more than five. We just went to the rails because it's a conversation with Ed. So we all, I feel feel bad now. I'm just like, I love talking to you guys. Uh, so, you know, that is usually how would you tell your 20 year old self or what would you, the advice would you give your 20 year old self about leadership? And, um, well, actually I'm going to, I'm going to leave that in. Cause I know you've, you've 
prepared something or you've no 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 it's all good I, I'm, I'm ready to answer the 20 year old self question because i remember the 20 year old self in fact I, sometimes i think i still am the 20 year old self and then i overexert myself <laughs> <laughs> chandler how old are you chandler how old are you i'm 28 28 i got shoes that are 28 <laughs> so um i i actually love that question and i really um when i was 20 um, I, I, I died on every hill. I, uh, you know, every, everything I had to make the point, I had to win the argument and, and more. So what's happened is it's interesting. Um, I have a lot of friends and, um, they kind of say to me, how have you changed theologically since you were 20? And actually, and I, I feel like, you know, they kind of are disappointed when I say this is that I know a lot more about what I believe and why I believe, but I pretty much haven't had major shifts. And maybe that's as people would say, well, that's because you're not learning. And, 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 and what I would say is, is that, no, it's, it's not so much that I think as a, you know, conservative evangelical, um, that has kind of grown into that is, um, I didn't know a lot back then, but what was fascinating was I was more energetic and felt the need to defend more of what I thought, even though I didn't know as much as I should have known. So, and maybe it's like, there's this inverse no, that relationship. That and, makes sense. Yeah. And so I, someone the other day tweeted, man, I wish I had the, uh, I wish I had the confidence of a first year seminary student. And, you know, <laughs> that's just such a fun thing to watch. You know, do you, do you guys follow on Twitter, the wrestling pastor? I don't follow him, but I see it a lot. Yeah, it's the greatest. Yeah. It's the greatest. I, I retweet it all the time. And he tweeted this thing of, you know, there were, it's always wrestling uh, memes or gifts. And so it's a bunch of people with their thumbs down booing. And it says when the first year seminary students come back and hear the Advent sermon, you know, it's no, <laughs> you're, not, you're not bringing the fullness of the, you know, the history of Israel and everything else. And what I would say is I was probably that guy. And, hmm. and so though theologically, I haven't shifted a lot. There's some places I would just, just, I would differ with where I was at 20. So it's not all the same, but it's the sense in which that I realized that other Christians have come to different conclusions. And if I still have a commonality on the essential reality of the gospel, that I can actually respect that they looked at something and came to a different conclusion, though my conclusion might be pretty similar to where I was when I was 20, the uh, hubris that I have figured it out. For example, you know, when I, I mentioned Tim Keller, you know, we would, you know, I, I would baptize people uh, you know, following conversion. Uh, and, you know, in their world, you know, someone comes a Christian, if Tim and I were planning a church together, we would go great until the first baptism. Then we wouldn't know if we needed a cup or a tub. And, you know, clearly you need a tub. But what I would say is thank God for, for my Wesleyan sisters and brothers. And thank God for the Pentecostals. I mean, thank God for, you know, Pentecostals are reaching the world where we talk about them back home. So I've grown in appreciation of those who share a common view of the gospel and I don't feel the need to fight and die on every hill over those issues. That's my team. That's my family. I have a denominational home, but it's not a prison. And my family is bigger than that. And that's probably one of the bigger distinctions from when I was 20. Just the need to constantly make the point is now sometimes I just smile and nod and say, hey, man, thank you for that. And that's okay. Yeah. I think all of us, you know, not even just 20 year old selves can probably learn in that area. <laughs> For sure. So especially in these times. So yeah. 
Well, Ed, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And thank you for listening. We hope it's been helpful. If you're listening to this, even if it's not on December 22nd, go ahead and go on Twitter and wish Todd a happy birthday. (laughs) (laughs) And make sure you say the man who led us out of darkness. That's the hashtag man who led us out of darkness. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we do hope this has been helpful. If it has, uh, we would ask that you go over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review to help other leaders like yourself find the podcast. And we'll see you next time. See ya.